All right, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 17 tonight, Acts chapter 17, I'm glad you're here. And I don't think we're going to be breaking any attendance records over the next few weeks with um, the world falling apart, huh? We, um, but I'm glad you're here, and uh, I know those things we don't want to take lightly. Um, people are sick, and people are have have died from this virus. So obviously, there's families that are hurting and um, dealing with it in a tragic way. Um, so we want to be wise as well. Am I ringing here? You got me. All right. All right. Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter 17. And um, we are living in a rapidly shifting moral landscape in our world, aren't we? It's changing drastically. And um, there is just unbelievable poverty. We see things like abortion, slavery, sex trafficking, and I'm going to begin a series this week, and uh, we'll go for several weeks. I uh, only got through about half of this message today in the 1 o'clock service, so I want to try to keep on pace um, in 1 o'clock in the evening service as well. But um, what, is, uh, what is the response that we are as Bible believers? What is our response to the world that we're living in. When we see, when we see such such moral failures, when we see so um, just just very post-Christian culture that we're living in, what what is our response? Because we could have two two types of responses. That uh, I believe the response that we'll speak about this evening. Another response that I would not think that we would want to take is when we deal with it very in a very angry, hateful, um, mean-spirited way to where we might be fighting for the right cause but doing it in the wrong temperament and losing the battle because of our temperament. The, another response that I don't think that Bible believers ought to have is just kind of well, as long as my bubble and everything is fine and, and my family's fine and my world is fine, then whatever else happens in the world, fine. And as long as it doesn't affect me, I'll just pretend it doesn't exist and just continue doing my thing, which I think for Christians, that's not the correct gospel response because we're called to be light. And not light in a light room, but we're called to be light in, in darkness. We're called to be salt and and so we are called and we are commanded to go. And so what is the correct response? Because you can't see what's happening in this world as a Christian and be satisfied with its direction. So how do we respond? How are we to respond to things in our culture that like same-sex marriage and how to respond to things like pornography? Those things just are... Uh, have infiltrated our society. Porn pornography is um, one of the, the uh, a fast growing um, uh, within pornography is they're saying is child pornography now, and it's running rampant. We, um, my wife has a credit card, and the only thing on her credit card every single month is ninety nine cents, and that's for sto storage for her iPhone, and. 
I don't know why she just doesn't move it to the other credit card that we actually use, um, but she leaves on that one credit card, and it's with a it's with a, um, um, a small small bank credit union in Pennsylvania she had since she before we got married, and she's always kept this account. She has five dollars in that account and ninety nine cents on the credit card. I can't even do online to try to pay it online. Um, I spend fifty whatever cents a month to pay and write a check for 99 cents to pay this thing. It's, it's, we laugh at it, it's just fun every month to do that, I guess. But this past month I got this credit card statement and I'm looking, expecting 99 cents, and it's $104. And I said to Michelle, I said, what did you, uh, you, you did you use the wrong card? And you know what happened? She said, I didn't use the card at all. So well, there's $104 and she looks at apple.com, 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 and, she called and they were subscriptions to apps that she downloaded on her phone. And she said, well, I haven't downloaded any apps on my phone. And so we said, how are we getting charged for a hundred and some dollars? And these we found out were going to be monthly fees or quarterly fees. And we realized it was Chloe, our nine-year-old, just downloading apps that she thought was free um, on, on a phone. And the scary thing of that is they say a lot of these apps, they look, they are enticing to children. Children are download these apps, and a lot of them are, are you take pictures of yourself, and you, you can start to speak to other people, and then they start asking for pictures, and a lot of times the other person on the other side is, is uh, a, a grown-up that is getting pictures of kids, and it turns into craziness and hurt and much harm, how easy it is, and how somebody could even think to do things like that. In our mind, it just would blow us away, but it's, it's growing. We're not living in a society that is going to, is, it, it, it appears like it's going toward Christianity in the gospel. We're living in a society that's really going as far rapidly, as far away from the gospel and about Christ as it possibly can. And we are to expect this because we know that the world is going to get worse when Christ returns. And so we know this is happening. How do we live knowing this is happening in our world? How do we raise families? How do we, how do we live a victorious Christian life? What is the gospel's response? And we need to know how Christians are to live and we need to know how to face these issues that we find in our society. And we must engage in the battle where the battle's being fought. And sometimes I think, Christian, if we're not careful, we, we stand in our hearts, we're against certain things, but we, we're fighting battles and doing things that really are unproductive. The world is, is facing an onslaught, and we need to take the battle to where the battle's being fought. I, I want you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 17, and I'm preaching through the book of Acts on Sundays, and so every month my goal is to read through, I read through the book of Acts several times every single month, 
in, in just keeping it fresh in my heart and making sure that the, uh, we're, we're staying in context of, of, as we're breaking down verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and kind of knowing uh, ahead where we're going to be in several weeks as well. And so when I was in India, I uh, had a lot more time, and so I read through the book of Acts. Probably every other day I was reading through the book of Acts, and I read, I came to verse number 17, uh, chapter number 17, and this reminded me so much of what I was seeing um, on my trip. When we were driving from place to place or from the airport to where we're staying or even back, the first couple days we were there, they took us into town and bought some water and some things of that sort. And everywhere we went, I mean, I could not tell you um, just the amount of people there were and the amount of, of Hindu temples that were everywhere. They worship everything. It, you're, you, you, um, you have a, a, a great name, a great reputation, great wealth. Um, if you own um, a cow, a steer with horns, you pray that down the street where everybody is, and you're considered to be really somebody because you own this, this cow. And they, they we even paint the, the horns up all different colors. And because Trump was coming to India, they were painting all of their, their um, the horns red, white, and blue. And, and, and they weren't doing it to, to necessarily be funny at all. They were doing it hoping they would get the attention of the gods. And the gods would be pleased. And the gods would prosper them. The God would, gods would bless them. Everywhere we went, I mean, just, just one right after another, and some of these were elaborate, big, huge, elaborate statues that people would stop what they're doing and they're lighting candles and putting flowers and stopping what they're doing in, their, in the middle of, the, of the, their day to try to get the gods to look at them with favor. The Hindu temples, some were just small um, hut types that, that uh, uh, w- w- really weren't extravagant, and others were just two- and three-story huge temples that were just incredible. Paul was in Athens in verse number 16 of chapter 17. He says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. And I want you to look at that phrase and, and write that down and underline that and consider that this evening. His spirit was stirred in him. What what was his spirit stirred in him for? Because Athens is known as a place of great wealth. It was great as an academic place. I mean, people would come to visit Athens because what Athens had to offer. But what Paul saw when he was in Athens was this, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. What, what Paul noticed was that the people, the, the city, it's, 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 it was, everything was about idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews, in devout persons, in the market daily with them that met with him. And that word disputed is not hollering and screaming and yelling. That's not what that word disputed means. If you were to look at that, this, that word disputed in this context, it, it means, it means to, to um, uh, um, conversation. It means to, to tell of what 
his belief was in, in that. So it's not, Paul is not, you know, some crazed lunatic, lunatic screaming about this. He's having this conversation. What do you believe? This is what I believe. This is what truth is. He, um, um, the Bible goes on to tell us this. Um, the, uh, there were certain philosophers there, um, and, and they said, they called him this babbler. What's, what's this babbler saying? Some um, uh, seemeth to uh, be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul is teaching. He is not doing this in the context of I am mad and my, my, my preference is this or I think this is right and it's just because this is the way my tradition or way I was raised. No, what he was doing is what he was arguing with them, um, discussing with them, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. He was bringing everything back to the gospel. And so put this in context. Paul is in a place. Everything's given over to idols. There's idols for everything. And tells us later on here, there's an idol for the unknown God, just in case they were to leave a God out. And so Paul is, is, is simply just telling them about Jesus Christ. Why were they worshiping idols? I, um, uh, I told you this on Sunday when I flew into, uh, when, I, when I applied for my visa, they, uh, out of the six or seven pastors that were all applying for their visas, I'm the only one that it kicked back and um, they asked, are you going for um, uh, evangelistic purposes? And, um, and I really wasn't going for evangelistic purposes. We were going to teach pastors there. And so... Um, uh, I didn't, I didn't, we, we weren't supposed to be in evangelistic type campaigns. And so I told them I wasn't and uh, being honest with them, but I got there and we flew from Mumbai down to South India. And on that, on that two hour flight, the first row, it wasn't first class. Every, every seat was the same on this airline in the country, but they had us on the first row, three seats and three seats. And these three were three of the men that I was traveling with and then me. And in the aisle of the um, window seat was one of the pastors we were traveling with. But in between us, and I, I do know why, but at the time, you know, it, you know, there were seven of us, and they mixed the other guys up and put uh, five of us in the front six seats and right in the middle, this Indian. And honestly, I thought to myself, I, I believe that this guy's here, and where else is he going to hear the gospel? But if I give him the gospel, I'm breaking the law. Really, I mean, I, I told them I wasn't going to be doing this. And I really struggled with, within me. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go to jail before I even get started here. And, but this guy's going to die and go to hell if he doesn't know Jesus Christ. And so I just began to speak with him and ask him about uh, you know, himself and his family. And then I began to ask him about the Hindu religion, and then we spent the last 45 minutes, an hour, talking to him about Christianity. And I told you the story on Sunday. I won't, I won't dig deep into that story. But he told me this, his belief on Hinduism, and he told me he has a room in his house, and he started naming all of these gods. I, I don't even know he could keep it all, all track of it all. I mean, he named God after God after God, and this one's for prosperity, and this one's for wealth, and this one's for health, and this is for this, and this. And, and all of these that he's praying to. And the whole reason why he has so many different gods is because he's hoping that one will hear him and bless him. 
And he's not wanting to offend any one God. And so I'll take as many as I have to take. Could you just think, as a human being living your entire life, not sure if you've appeased the gods, and if you haven't, and you've done something bad, you're going to then come back and become a snake or a dog or an animal, a rat, in this reincarnation, and then hoping at some point you can achieve to be a god. Not only to me was it so confusing and um, so complicated, but it was so hopeless as he's sharing this with me. And when I then said to him, I I believe that there is one true God, I believe Jesus Christ, and began to share with him Christianity, Christianity, it sounded so simple. It really did compared to this complex religion. And um, here we find in Athens, they've got all of these gods, and they have have an altar, they have one altar that says, look with me in verse number 20. Three, for I've passed by, Paul speaking, and behind your devotions I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. He says, you worship an altar that says an unknown God. You don't even know who this God is, but just in case you've left one out, you're worshiping this God. We... We live in a society, and and I read this in church and Christian, we live in a generation in this world today, there are humans by the billions that are doing this same thing. They're looking for answers. They're looking for hope. They're, They're so involved in idolatry, and they're without hope. This quote by Francis Schaeffer says this, where is the clear voice speaking to the crucial issues of the day with distinctively biblical Christian answers? Let me me, me read you this quote again. Where is the clear voice speaking to the crucial issues of the day with distinctively biblical Christian answers? What a challenging quote that is. Not engaging culture with good works, but where, where is, the, where is the, the clear voice, the critical issues of today, where is the clear voice that's giving them distinctive, biblical, Christian, and that last word there, answers. See, what Paul is going to do in what this series that we're going to look at over the next several weeks on the, the gospel's response to to a morally decaying society is the the way to deal with them is to give them distinctive Christian biblical answers, not man's opinions, not religion, not what I think, but give them clear biblical Christian answers. And that's where the power of the Holy Spirit, then the, the, the Spirit of God can work. Why, why must Christians take action? J.C. Riley said this, and, and you may have read some things from him. Uh, a zealous man, this is a little bit lengthy, so stay with me here. A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he is earnest, 
hearty, um, uncompromising, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. That one thing is to please God. That's what his goal is. The, the, uh, whether he lives, whether he dies, whether he is, uh, has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he, he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whatever he gets, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He's not living for, for any of those things. He's living simply to please God is what he's saying. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. And don't, don't lose that. The purpose is to please God with our lives and to advance his glory so that he receives glory in our life. If he is consumed in the very burning, he cares not for it. <clears throat> he feels that like a lamp, he is made to burn and is consumed in burning. And, and I'm sorry, and if consumed in burning, he has but done the work for which God has appointed him to please him. And as we look at this passage of scripture here in Acts chapter 17, we must mark our lives that we must, like Paul lived here, with great zeal so that God receives the glory. That's what Paul's concern here, as he's looking around and he's seeing this entire city, Athens, this great city, it's wholly given over to idol, idols. What burned in his heart, what, what caused him to be stirred, is that God was not receiving the glory for who he is. Other gods were. And these other gods aren't even real. These men are living hopeless lives, uh, uh, worshiping something, some idol that is dead, and God isn't receiving glory. And, and that stirring in his heart comes because his desire is for all men to bring glory to God that God is due. And in, in, in these, these days in our culture, I believe this, it's going to require authentic zeal, a real passion for God. And in, 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 in hear me, church, I believe if we're not careful, we can live good Christian lives, keep to ourselves, do our thing, raise our children, you know, supply, have, 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 live a good life while everyone around us in this generation, in our generation, is going to live not giving God the glory with their life, and they're going to die without Jesus Christ, and they are going to spend eternity in hell. And that ought to do something to the Christian. It ought to cause the Christian to behave in such a way with authentic zeal and a real passion for God. And it ought to change how we think. It ought to change how we live. It ought to change how we act. It ought to change 
us like it changed Paul. When he goes to this place called Athens, he couldn't just say, you know what? Those people, they're crazy. Those people, they're different. Those people, they have it wrong. But you know what? That's their business. I'm going to live my life. He said, I've got to do something. Because pleasing God with my life is important. God receiving glory is important. And so with steadfast confidence in prayer, the believer then must have steadfast confidence in prayer. That believer then must be rock solid in his confidence in God's word. Where, where do we get, where did Paul get his passion from? It isn't, well, he was born that way. He was a man with great passion. And so, of course, no, he got his passion because he believed God's word. He believed what God's word said. Yes, I believe that Paul was a passionate man. But that's not what Paul, that's not what stirred him in his heart. What stirred him in his heart is he believed God's word. And if we truly believe God's word, then we know this, that, that God created man to bring glory to him. And because of sin, man fell. And now there's billions of people in our generation alive right here on this earth, right now, that are not bringing glory to God. When I was in India, the, those numbers to me are just staggering. 1.38 billion people and only 3% of 1.38 billion people claim to be something other than Hindu or, or Muslim. Well, Hindu and Muslim, they do not believe that Jesus Christ they don't believe in the deity of Christ. They don't believe in the atonement of the blood sacrifice. They don't believe that he's the way, the truth, and life. So that means 97% that we know that have rejected the Messiah, rejected Jesus Christ, they are not going to spend eternity in, in heaven. And that's this generation. That's the generation you and I are, are currently living in. And that is with, if 3%, if all of those other 3% all believed in Jesus Christ, but we know that's not true either. And those are real human beings that are alive in this earth, and that's one nation. And they're going through their lives, and they're worshiping other gods, and they're not bringing God glory. And if we truly believe the Bible, it ought to do something to us. We ought to have confidence in what the Bible says. And then what it ought to do is cause us to be willing to obey it no matter what the cost is. And so as we begin this series over these next several weeks, my question to you is this, how is your confidence in prayer? How is your confidence in God's word? And are you willing to obey it no matter what the cost is in this generation? What are you willing to do with the gospel so that, so that others could hear, so that God can receive the glory that he's due out of our lives? And so... Um, let me, let me show you, let, turn with me real quick, um, Isaiah 42, 8. I want to read a verse and, um, and then um, just have this in your notes here and look through this verse. The Bible says in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. I'm sure Paul being a student of Scripture, knew of this verse. And once he received Christ as a Savior, now that Paul 
is a believer in the Messiah, I'm sure this verse now even means something greater to him. In us being Bible believers, this verse ought to mean something to us as well. This is the Lord saying, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Paul then comes to Athens. And that, that verse ringing true in his head. God's not pleased with that. God's desires for all of those men to give glory to him. And this is this holy, this is a holy anger that Paul had. This is not contention in argumentative spirit. This is a, a, a righteousness about him that he wants to see others come to know Jesus Christ as he was. Because remember, Paul was lost in religion as well. Paul, Paul was, was murdering, imprisoning people. He was hurting families. He was breaking up families. And he was doing it all for the name of religion. And so if someone knows what it is to worship an idol or worship religion and now know the Savior and be transformed and see what the gospel can do, Paul does. And so therefore, it ought to be the same for us. If someone knows how the gospel changes a person, it's those that have been changed by the gospel. And so we, we're surrounded by idols as well in our culture. And, and uh, there's idols of, of money. There's idols of sex. There's idols of power. There's these idols of possessions. And there's idols of people. I thought this was interesting. I picked up the uh, newspaper there in India, and India was an English colony for centuries, and so everything is in English there. Um, and so I was able to read the newspaper there, so I picked up the newspaper, and right on the front page of the newspaper there, there was a story of a man that had made an idol of Donald Trump. It was like a life-size idol. It looked just like him, and he did a great job with it. And he said in this article, he praised to Donald Trump. He was praying, hoping that Donald Trump would hear him and let him ride with him back on Air Force One and take him back to America. The sad thing is this newspaper article came, back, came out the day after Trump had left India, and so this man is hopeless. Idolizing a man. Praying to a man, hoping that that man will make his problems all go away. And idolatry is at the issue of Every area, every verse in this text that we find in Acts chapter 17, it's the issue of idolatry. It's these people worshiping, these men in Athens, worshiping idols. And many of us, if we're not careful in society today, it's because of worshiping idols that we ignore certain things. Why, why do we ignore um, um, the poor? Why do we not... Why do we not care for the poor like Christ has commanded us to. And many, it could be because we idolize wealth. We idolize possessions. We idolize luxuries. We idolize comfort. And we're not willing to sacrifice. Those things are so important to us that we're not willing as Christians to sacrifice and to give. And, and we'll give except if it begins to hurt us. What about... What about um, um, things like children, orphans, and widows? The Bible says this, that that's true religion. Care for the orphans, care for the fatherless, care for the widows. When, when I was there in India, the fellow that was 
over the ministry there. His house was right, kind of right, right in the center of the campus and then all of the dorms and that sort. And right across the street, he was telling us about, he said that that house is where his children live. And I said to him, I said, how many children, your kids have their own house? That's, that was kind of odd. I mean, it's a big building. He said, yeah, that's where my kids live. And I said, how many, how many kids do you have? And he says, 25. I said, you have 25 kids? And I looked at his wife and I said, wow. You look great for having 25 kids. I thought my wife looks great for having five. You look great for 25 kids. And she said, oh, they're adopted. And, and in, there in India, the, there's, the orphan rate is huge. And what he's done, he said, and, and at just about that time, one of, the, uh, one of the boys walked over and he said, we got him when he was three weeks old. And he was probably 18, 19 years old now. And this, this man, Dr. Charian, he put his, 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 he put his belief in, into practice. He knew that there was an issue, there's an orphan issue in his country. You know what he did? He allowed the gospel to change him and affect his behavior. You know what he does? He takes in babies. And they become his children. And he puts him, he has a, a tutor for him, and, and he feeds him, and he clothes him, and he treats him just like they're his own, except they live across the street. <laughs> but that's because he couldn't put 25 kids in his house. There's sometimes I think putting your kids across the street might be a good idea too, huh? But here he's... We've got these, if we're not careful an idolatry of convenience. And so why aren't, why aren't children, orphans being taken care of? Why aren't widows being taken care of? Because if we're not careful, it's not convenient. In our life, we ought to be living as Christians in a morally corrupt society. We ought to be living in such a way where it is making and impacting a difference in society because of how we behave, because of how we treat these issues. I, most of you know I sit on the council with the, at the governor, um, Evangelical Pastors Council. And the issue he brings up every single time we meet is he says, I wish you pastors could get your church people to do more in fostering children. He said these children are being ripped out of their homes. And in many cases, they're being placed in homes that aren't much better. And those that know Christ could be offering a home to foster children, uh, orphan children that could introduce them to Christ. And I'm not saying this isn't the only reason why we're not doing it, but for many, it's inconvenient. And it would change our life in such a way where we lose inconvenience and is our idle convenience. The debate of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. You know, we, 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 if we're not careful, we can just get mad and get angry and be, be mean-spirited about it. And, and it, man, it just repulses me. But the reality is this. It, 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 um, why is it there? Because of the idolization of sex. It's when we want it, where we want it, how we want it, who we want it with. It's an idol. 
In our hearts, it should be stirred. When God isn't being glorified, our hearts should be stirred like Paul's. When we see this wickedness in this world, it ought to stir our hearts so that we do something about it because the goal is for God to receive glory. And so does it trouble us? Does it trouble you enough? Does society trouble you enough to do something with it? to do something about it. And so in this passage of scripture as Paul, we must speak God's word in God's love. We must not be content with God not being glorified in our culture around us. And, and, and I, I wrote that down, and I, I wanna say this again, and I say this on purpose. We must not be content with God not being glorified in our culture around us. Does it bother you? Are you content when you go, as long as my family doesn't do that, I'm okay. As long as we don't think that way, you know, that's what the world does. As long as I'm fine and everyone around me is fine, I'm okay. But, but does it bother us? Are we content with God not being glorified in the culture around us? Because the Bible believer wants God to be exalted the Bible believer should desire for God to be exalted as the judge of the world. And Paul, he takes this opportunity as a believer. Now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he takes this opportunity and he tells them the gospel. And some don't know what to say. You know what Paul did? Paul just gave them the gospel. How do I approach these issues? How do I approach this moral failure, this moral bankruptcy in culture today? It's the gospel. That's how we approach it. How do we deal with it? By giving the gospel and letting the gospel change them just like the gospel changes you and has changed me and changed Paul. And so we find, look at me in verse number 22. Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious or you are too religious. For I, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar. This, these devotions, that, 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 word, that word devotion is, they, this wasn't like a, a laziness about them. They were serious about their religion. They were devoted to it. But what he was saying is, I found this altar with inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare unto you. He's saying this, I'm going to tell you about this God that you're worshiping. You don't know who he is, and I'm going to tell you who he is. He's actually the one that is the answer you're looking for. He's the solution to all of your problems. And so in... in uh, 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 these gods, what they're doing, they're worshiping the sun god, they're worshiping the moon god, they're worshiping the stars, they're worshiping the fire, the wind, the earth. They, they're worshiping every, everything in nature has a god. And they're not leaving anything out because they don't want to upset any one god and bring, bring shame to themselves or judgment on themselves. And so they're worshiping everything. And so how does Paul deal with them? He deals with them directly here. Look with me in verse number 24. He says this, God, uh, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord and of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. You know what Paul does here? Mark this down in verse number 24. He goes,
goes after him seven ways. The first thing he does is he says, God is the creator of the universe. All these other gods that you're worshiping, none of them are God. There's one God, this one God, this unknown God that you're worshiping. You don't know who he is. Let me tell you who he is. He is the God that created this universe. There's only one. Do you believe that? They're worshiping the sun god. The sun god can't come to them and give them anything. They think, well, the the sun god is giving me warmth, and so I'm going to worship the sun god so he continues to give me warmth. Well, the sun, there is no sun god. god. The sun is only giving them warmth because there was a creator that created the sun to give them warmth. So he brings it all back. First of all, it's God that created In verse number 25, he goes into, the second thing he shows them is this, that neither is is, uh, worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He's the sustainer of life. They don't have to go and try to find the sustainer of life, a God that's the sustainer of life. There is only one God. He's the same as the God that created uh, the universe. He is also the one that sustaineth life. And so they're, they're living their, their life religiously, hoping that they can find favor, hoping that they can find the God that will, will give them, uh, will sustain them, hoping that they can find the God that will meet their needs. And Paul says, I'll introduce you to him. He's the creator. And what he's doing is he's introducing them to Jesus Christ. Again, I, I, I want you to get this, and don't miss this, please. As we are living in a post-Christian society, as we're living in a society that's wholly given over to idols, as we live in a society that, that is religious but, but, but just, just not truth, how do we combat that? How do we deal with that? We deal with it by giving them the gospel, by introducing them to the one true God. That's how we deal with it. That's a Paul's approach. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of life. In verse number 26, number three, he tells him he's the ruler of nations. It's not, we're not putting our, our, our um, uh, hope in men and in rulers. And, and I showed you this on Sunday. When the wrath of God comes, we find in the Re- book of Revelation, in that uh, the earthquake comes and the mountains are moved and the, and the islands uh, are moved and, and, and the earthquake disrupts all of the earth. Even the greatest rulers, the kings, the Bible says, they're crying out just to let the rocks fall on us. I, I, I've learned I, this, this um, uh, uh, virus that's going around the world. I, I've, I've, I'm watching this, and I had a conversation with, with um, someone in the governor's um, administration today and, and where we're going. And if you listen to the governor today, he's having another a conference tomorrow, news conference, and it's going to be laying out some things. He's put a lot of, making a lot of changes. I mean, he's really serious about this virus and how it's impacting Ohio. I mean, some serious adjustments. And some serious ones are coming in the next couple of days. It's going to affect all of us. And he specifically said this, he doesn't want what's going to ha- what's happened in Italy to happen here. It's got people worried. I mean, it's got powerful people concerned. It's got people in, in rulers in high places very concerned because they don't have an answer. 
And I reminded the lady that I was talking to, my contact in the governor's administration, she's a Christian as well. I said to her, I said, would you please make sure that Governor DeWine knows this, that God is still in control and he is our sustainer of life and he is the one that is, is ultimately ruling this universe. He's in control. So we need to yield to him. We need to be asking him. He's the ruler. We can't put our hope in man. There's going to come a time in this world that the, uh, uh, during that great tribulation that's going to come, and the, the most powerful rulers in this world are not going to be able to help mankind. It doesn't matter the, the, the president of whatever nation. They're not going to be able to help mankind because God is the ruler of these, this nation. God is the ruler of this universe. And Paul is saying to them, listen to me, you're putting your hope in some God of the sun or some God of the wind, and you're hoping that he's going to help you. No, there's only one God, and he's the only one that can bless you and help you. He's the ruler. He says in verse number 27, he's the savior of the needy. He talks about the, um, uh, them being close, uh, the Lord being close. Look with me in verse number 27. They that should seek the Lord, if, if happily they might feel after him. Uh, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. And what a comforting verse that is. As I sat on that airplane with that, 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 that fella, that Indian fella, he was telling me all about his gods. And, and as I began to tell him about Jesus, you know what the greatest thing I could tell him about Jesus is? He's right here. He's not far off. He's trying to do everything he can to get the attention of his gods. And the whole time where he'll never find them because they don't exist, here's Christ. A prayer away. He's there for the needy. And we are living in a world where many people have great needs and they must be introduced to the Savior. He's the father of each of us. In verse number 28, number five, he's the father of each of us. I, um, my my uh, daughter, Kayla, have a, a friend over. And last night her friend was over. And it's so funny, I'll, I came home and her friend was already there and so they came down from upstairs. She was getting ready to leave, and I was sitting down on the sofa. And um, so her friend comes in. He's like real shy. Uh, hi, hi, Pastor. You know, my, my parents said to tell you hi if we see you. And and uh, so we're just, it, it just. She was so nervous. It was it was it was comical. And then you you have Chloe runs and jumps and lands on me. And gives me this big hug. Hey, Dad. Why does one treat me that way and the other one can run and jump and hug me? I, I don't know how your homes are and however your home is is great. Ours, um, if, our, if our bedroom door is shut, don't bother us. If the bedroom door is open, come on in. And most nights, most nights on our bed, it's my wife and I and all the kids and the three dogs before they all go to bed, and, and Jacob will come home, and, and uh, he'll, he'll come in. Where's everybody at? And he'll just kind of lean at the end of the bed, and, and just one big happy family. Now, if your kids come over to my house, they're not allowed in my room. <laughs> Why does one jump in, into my arms, and the other one, other person, is real awkward. Why are five kids and only five kids and three dogs and not your dogs, why are they allowed in a place that's a private place? Because I'm their father. And there's something so significant about that. 
Because as the world is trying to find gods and never get to them and never be fulfilled and always feel like they have to do more and always feel like they never live up and live a hopeless life, there is our Heavenly Father that we have access to him, Abba Father. And if we truly believe the Bible, we would want that for everyone. You know what I would hope? I hope that every child feels love and comfort. And I, I, I would hope that every child in this world, I wish every child could run into their parents' room and jump on their parents' bed and feel that love and that compassion from two people called their parents. Why do I want that? Because I can experience that myself and I know how it is. And it would hurt to know that there's someone that can't have that. And hear me, there, is, there are religious people and what they don't have is this heavenly father that Paul is introducing to them and it changes everything. Look with me in verse number 29. Um, Verse number 29, he's the king over all of us. And then in verse number 30 and 31, number seven, he's the judge of the world. And this is who Paul is introducing in this chapter. He's introducing these religious people that are searching. He's introducing, he says, this is the one you're searching for. This is the one that when you find, your search is over. This is the one that when you're looking for comfort, he comforts. This is the one that you're looking for, your heavenly father, you find him. This is the one when you're needy, you have a savior that meets those needs. And Paul, he cannot sit idly by uh, as, he, as, as, as he sees this happening. He had to declare who God is. He has to declare God's glory. And that changes Paul, and that's going to change Paul's world because Paul is willing to do this. We, um, let, let, me, um, let me end here because my time is done. But this is just kind of the introduction to this series. We end it with this thought, we must approach all issues with zeal for the glory of God. And we're going to talk about issues. We're going to talk about abortion. We're going to talk about orphans. We're going to talk about sex trafficking. We're going to talk about homosexuality. We're going to talk about specific things over these next weeks. How do we as Christians deal with these things? Do we just ignore them? Do we, with hate, just spew venom at people? What do we do? We must approach all issues in our society with a zeal for what? For the glory of God. Our goal ought to, pre to present Christ so that others know him. So the gospel will change them like the gospel has changed us and so that God receives glory. That's what he's after. Do you realize this? God, is, God desires to receive glory from every, every nation, every nationality, every color, every tongue, every tribe. He's not just looking to receive glory from us as Americans. Do you, do you know it breaks his heart in, in, in India, 1.38 billion people in less than 3% of them know him and less than 3% of them are bringing his glory? That breaks his heart. Well, well, those are from India, so is God really? No, he really truly wants them to bring him glory. 
And he's used us to give them the gospel so they in turn can receive the gospel and live their lives to bring glory to God. And so let's, let's, let's hold off there and we'll continue this over the next several weeks, this passage of what do we do in allowing the gospel? What is the gospel's response to the society that we're living in? Father, help us, I pray, as we introduce this tonight. And then, Lord, we're going to dig in to your word and we're going to find answers. And Lord, we're not... We can't just enjoy our life and live our life absent from the fact that we're to be light. We can't just ignore what's happening in society. But we can't just get angry and kick it either. There is a correct response, and it's the gospel. Because, Lord, we know that you and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only solution to man's sin. And so, Lord, give us a boldness. May we settle this in our heart that we are going to do something correctly, biblical. We are going to take the fight to the fight. But, Lord, that fight is the gospel. And that what's fighting that is sin. And so we're going to take the truth of the gospel to a world that needs to hear it. And so, Lord, I pray you help us with this. In Jesus', Jesus name we pray, amen. All right, Lord bless you. Have a great evening.